1992, there's one movie that Quentin Tarantino said he would send to outer space, and it is Supercop. Welcome to Unspooled. I'm Amy Nicholson. And I am Paul Shear. And if you're a brand new listener to the show, this is the show where we are trying to find the best movies of all time, a hundred of them. And when we do, we're going to shoot them off into outer space. This week, we are talking about Police Story 3, otherwise known as Super Cop. But before we get into that, Amy, some reaction to our RRR episode. Uh, I feel like people trusted us uh, for the first time to try something that they probably had not heard of. And I think the reaction was uh, incredibly fulfilling. I feel so happy. I, I get nervous when we're like, okay, there's a brand new movie out. Maybe you haven't seen it. Maybe you don't have three hours to kill, but I think you might really, really like it. Oh, and it's just been a joy. It has been a joy seeing people speak of their delight, speak of grinning ear to ear for three hours, speak of applauding when the tigers leap out of the truck. My friend texted me last night and I've been talking to all my friends and saying like, hey, I got a recommendation for you. Don't look up anything, just watch it. And if you're not into it by the first 25 minutes, then check out. But I guarantee you, you'll be in by the first 25. And one of my friends wrote me after he saw the scene where the tigers are popping out of the truck. And he goes, I thought this was the climax. I pressed pause and there's an hour and a half left. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's so much more movie (laughs) and high drama is left. Now we go into the uh, incredibly dramatic section of the film right after the big attack on the palace. Um, But I also love uh, really the heated debate and and the passion that we're getting uh, from fans of of Indian cinema. Like, you know, there have been so many great people reaching out and recommending different films. And it's really exciting to check out all these, uh, you know, Hyperbod films, uh, and also uh, some other films that I did not even know about. Paul, have I preached to you the good word of a movie called Jolly Katu that came no. out a couple years ago? <gasps> ah! It's it's very, very different than this in that it feels a little bit like rawer, a little bit more like super, super dangerous, kind of a little more low mm-hmm. budget feel than this. It's definitely like a much more low budget film. It is completely crazy. The setup is just that um, in this village, in this rural village, a bull has escaped and all of the villagers just have to capture this bull. But oh the bull is shot like one of the dinosaurs from Jurassic Park. <laughs> like, and it's just rampaging through this town. Oh my the God. The ending builds to one of the most astonishing, staggering scenes I've ever seen in my life. The soundtrack actually reminds me a lot of, 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 the, of this movie too. It's got like that kind of like organic human chanting feel. Um, I saw this movie like randomly at the Toronto Film Festival just because like the movie I intended to go to was like full. So I was like, well, I'll see something. And I wandered into this. There are like five people in the theater. We were kind of just almost holding hands by the end of it and screaming in delight. Oh so, my God. Jolly Katu, if you haven't seen it, you are going to love this film. Well, I mean, just going back to an old episode, our Jackass episode, I'm afraid of bulls. And by the way, <laughs> we understand why, because we see people get hit by them. Like you got to get the fuck out of the way. Um, 
Amy, I want to bring up one question that was in the Discord. And I thought it was such an easily answered question, but it kind of caused a little bit of debate. People didn't believe that Beam's relationship with Jenny was genuine. And I thought that was such a true relationship. And people are like, well, no, no, no. That was just because he wanted to get into the palace. But he didn't even really know that Jenny was associated. Like he wasn't, I thought that that interest was pure. What did you think? I thought it was pure too, because what he first sees her doing is an act of kindness as opposed to the other British people. And I, I, I felt like he saw her and he thought, that is a beautiful and good, good person. When he gets to go to the palace and he realizes, oh my gosh, I'm here. And he has a moment, then he does his job, but it wasn't, he wasn't trying to trick her to bring her. The, the dance competition wasn't like, if I win this dance competition, I'll get to go back to the palace. She was legitimately wanting him to win because she liked him. She was, and she does become a huge ally. I mean, part of the interesting thing about that movie, while it is three hours and there's plenty of time to lay out a lot of information, they really do skip over the the fact that he gets all the information from the prison, clearly from Jenny. Like Jenny is supplying him with all of that intel that allows him to go in and uh, and save the day in there. That's true. And I think that there's that little moment when they're in the market where we already know that he likes her. They've already done that very strange meet cute of putting the tires in the, tra- in the track yeah. so that like she has to stop and he could fix the car. Um, but when he finds out she lives with the girl that he's trying to find, I think I think you see in his face that he's like a little hurt. He's like, oh man, I like this girl, but I at least like he's he's sort of sad that she's caught up in it. It's bittersweet. It's, it's bittersweet. bittersweet. Uh, by the way, when you say meet cute, it made me laugh because uh, is it really a meet cute when you pop someone's tires, like when you throw nails down in the road to uh, send their car off? The- <laughs> yeah, right. Is it a meet cute if only half of the people know? Like well, to her, she's like, it's so cute. My tire got a flat tire, but he knows the truth. I guess if you are a mechanic and you can fix those tires for free, then it's a meet cute because it's sort of like, you know, it's not like, oh, she's out any money. So, you know, I feel like maybe it works that way. <laughs> well, and I think why he's redeemed in that scene is that he's really trying to be honest. He's like, it'll right. just take half an hour. Right. It'll be fine. I've got it. And it's and it's like his buddy who's like, no, 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 no. It'll take all day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Well, Amy, you know, before we talk about our film today, I want to talk about why we picked our film, right? So this is Police Story 3, Super Cop. But I think you'd be hard-pressed to say this is the best Jackie Chan movie. And people debate this a lot. Like, what are the best Jackie Chan movies? I will say that Super Cop is often in the top four of people's top 10 list, top 20 list. It is a very high-ranking film, but I wanted to know why you chose this one. It's our first Jackie Chan film. Uh, So I wanted to know why is Super Cop the most representative for you of Jackie Chan? Yeah, no, I've been on this Jackie Chan kick where I've been watching like a ton of Jackie Chan lately. And his movies are across the board, just so fun, so delightful. Like, I love Twin Dragons. It's the one where like Jackie Chan plays like 
his identical, like two identical twins. One is like a composer and then one is like a bruiser and they cross paths. And it's just so funny. Um, I love the Jackie Chan movie Operation Condor, which is like oh, his riff so on. It's so good. It's like his riff on um, Indiana Jones. And like at one of the end set pieces is he's like in front of a gigantic fan turbine and he's like pressed against the wall and his skin is all vibrating. and Amazing film. But I picked uh, Police Story 3 slash Super Cop for a few key reasons. One, it is the best reviewed Jackie Chan movie. Like this is the okay. critical darling of his movies. This is one where critics are like, oh, no, 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 no. It is Super Cop. Super Cop has the highest reviews. It's narrow, a narrow margin, but it is up there. Two, I picked it because this is the Super Cop movie with Michelle Yeoh. This is like Michelle Yeoh just being amazing. This is her comeback film when she after she retired and decided to come back and, and be an actress again. Um She's so great in this. And it's the rare film that's a Jackie Chan film where he shares the spotlight with somebody as amazing. Like usually a Jackie Chan movie is just all about Jackie, but to have a Jackie Chan movie where he like seeds the floor in some of the best stunts to Michelle Yeoh, amazing. And I'm just like really in love with Michelle Yeoh this year, you know, from everything, everywhere, all at once from this is kind of like culmination of her as an actress. So I just, I love going back to like a really pivotal movie for her. And three, the third reason why I picked this is because if we are going to make an argument about a Jackie Chan movie to send to space, somebody actually already made that movie for us, that it should be Super Cop. It is no less than Quentin Tarantino. They, uh, he, When he was asked, like, what is the best movie that you would show aliens? He said, da-da. Uh, but, okay. Okay, I will. Okay, uh, so the final climax of Jackie Chan's Police Story 3. That <laughs> is directed by Stanley Tong. Yeah, that is really. a sequence that if you, that aliens would watch and be amazed <laughs> at what they saw. All right, and I could go for some more slickly made action scenes and that could work too, but that would be a thing of what cinema could do. That could actually give you an understanding of cinema uh, in all of its bells and whistles and movement. But I will be fair in that clip to say that he said the last 20 minutes he would send to space as the best action ever to show aliens. Not the whole movie. It is like, so I will just to give him a little bit of, uh, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to misquote him, but I do agree that the last 20 minutes here are amazing. I also, uh, I am also here for the Michelle Yeoh Renaissance. I was, uh, so excited when she popped up on Star Trek and that was a great role for her there. Of course, she's been in so many great things. She's always somebody who blows me away. I will say that, um, watching this movie the other night, June was irritated with me that I'm watching a Jackie Chan movie, does not want to partake in any of that sort of stuff. But she found herself totally caught up in watching Michelle Yeoh. Like, it connected her to this movie. And and I do think that that does make this movie a little bit different, a little bit more interesting in the grand scheme of things. So without any further ado, let's unspool it. The year is 1992. DNA fingerprinting is invented. The nicotine patch hits the market. Euro Disney in France opens. Bill Clinton is elected president. And the hot films of the year include a lot of unspooled classics. We are talking about A League of Their Own, Unforgiven, Porco Rosso, and now Police Story 3, Super Cop. Amy, who's in it? What's it about? And what was on the radio, and I know I know it was on the radio because this was a prime time of me listening to the radio and getting it on, going to school, listening all the time. I love it. 
Well, Super Cup. It is directed by Stanley Tong and it is written by Edward Tang, Ma Fibe, and Yi Lei Wai. Um, Jackie Chan plays Hong Kong cop Kevin Chow. And he's assigned to take down a massive, massive heroin dealer. But to do this, he has to go to China and team up with Michelle Yeoh, who plays this military police director, Inspector Yang. Now, Jackie goes deep undercover to win the trust of a convict named Panther, who will take him to his boss, Chaibot, who is the leader of this whole thing. But Jackie Chan is so bad at remembering his cover story that Michelle Yeoh has to step in and pretend to be his sister and keep this whole thing on track. This whole movie is like showdowns and shakedowns and situations where Jackie and Michelle have to like hide their intentions. They also have to hide what they're doing from Jackie's girlfriend, May, played by Maggie Chang, who they unexpectedly run into at a resort. All of this is building up to just one of the craziest ending action sequences of all time. You've got Jackie dangling from helicopters. You've got Michelle leaping from one speeding car to another speeding car. You've got Jackie nearly falling off the roof of a train. You've got Michelle leaping onto the roof of a train from a motorcycle. And you've just got like kicks and punches and moments where you seriously have to just clap. Take a listen. In the crime capital of the world, where an army of criminals has taken over. There's never a cop around when you need one. But when this cop's around... One is all you need. But now, outnumbered, and outgunned, even the toughest of cops could use a little help. This movie opened in Hong Kong in 1992 under the name Police Story 3, but it opened here in America as the movie Super Cop in wide release on July 25th, 1996, four years later. And it was treated like a new standalone movie, even though it was not. Supercop is the third film in one of Jackie Chan's best franchises, this franchise that he started back at home after he tried to make it in America in the early 80s, did like Cannonball Run, and decided that he liked the way things worked better back at home. He thinks American sets are too slow, too complicated, and they don't spend time on what matters. Well, can um, we just talk about one thing? I, I love the story about Jackie Chan and Cannonball Run, which is that that was supposed to be his real, like, introduction, like a big movie like this. And they set him up to do this fight scene, but he's on sand and he can't get the leverage that he needs to do his impressive moves on sand because sand, as you all know, is not like a, a surface that you can kind of really rebound off of and onto. And this fight scene that he does in Cannibal Run is on sand and he, he looks decidedly unimpressive. If you know anything about Jackie Chan and you watch him in Cannibal Run, it does not look like the same performer. I mean, it is really a shocking thing. So he was really uh, sabotaged by that movie accidentally. He really was. And he went home pretty irritated. He's like, I've sp I'd spent, what, two years in L.A., like learning English, being prepared to try to make it in the West. And this is what happens. No way I'm going back home to Hong Kong. I'm going to do some really, really cool stuff like inventing the Police Story franchise. Uh, the kind of irony here is that like after ignoring America for over a decade, 
1996, suddenly everything changed. Jackie made this movie rumble in the Bronx. It made tons of money in Asia. And then after it did, it screened at Sundance here and got all of this buzz. And then like one month later, opens up to number one at the U.S. box office. You know, Rumble in the Bronx, not made for a U.S. audience, opens number one in the U.S. box office. And it knocks off John Woo's Broken Arrow. So it was this moment of like Hong Kong really hitting theaters here. It, Hong Kong suddenly becoming super cool. So very, very I quickly, will say, by the way, just one thing about Rumble in the Bronx. I I worked in the Bronx growing up as a kid, and I saw Rumble in the Bronx in the Bronx. It's not a Bronx that anyone recognizes because it's not the Bronx. But being in that theater uh, at the Whitestone Cinema was truly like everyone was so excited to have a movie about the Bronx where it was all, it was one of the best movie theater experiences I've ever had seeing Rumble in the Bronx in the Bronx the weekend it came out with all my friends there. Uh, and then also just being like, where did they shoot this? I didn't, I wasn't savvy enough to understand <laughs> that it was, uh, we were all like, I don't think that's anywhere near here. <laughs> I'm jealous. That sounds yeah. fun. But yeah, because of that, because of that kind of moment, very, very quickly, um, U.S. distributors took Police Story 3. They dubbed it into English. Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh did their own voices, which they had never done before in mm-hmm. dubbing. Uh, they gave it a new name. They gave it this like crazy hip soundtrack. And they threw Supercop into summers that, uh, that summer where it made like a pretty respectable $16 million in theaters. And then it went to double its money in home video release. It became Dimension Films' second highest grossing video release that year after Scream. So very good competition. Um, at this moment, like Hollywood suddenly loves Jackie. You know, in this in the next year, like before he even had a chance to make his first American film, he won a Lifetime Achievement Award from the MTV Movie Awards. It was presented to him by Quentin Tarantino. He pressed his handprints into Grumman's theater. You might say that Jackie Chan was feeling a little bit of what was in the zeitgeist that weekend that Supercop was released in 1996. The number one song that weekend was this guy who also shows up on the Super Cup soundtrack. It's Tupac in California Love. I love that. You know, I just want to give a shout out to the foresight of what Dimension Films does. And I know, obviously, the Weinsteins are incredible. Like, I don't want to get into any of the that story there. But from a point of view of just finding these movies and putting them into re-release and and cutting out some sections that would maybe bore an American audience, putting in a hip-hop soundtrack, they really... I think Dimension Films, besides doing all their horror films, and they were doing, you know, like movies like The Crow and, you know, multiple Halloween movies and From Dusk Till Dawn, but they really did bring Jackie Chan to the forefront. It was Supercop, Supercop 2, Crime Story. Uh, They also released Operation Condor and Operation Condor 2. Like, they really got Jackie Chan in front of an American audience and figured out a way to just not make it more palatable, but just to put a few bells and whistles on the film that made it a little bit more Americanized that I think really launched Jackie Chan into this giant superstar like you talked about. Yeah, I mean, some of their tinkering, I'm like, you didn't have to do that. You know, like in this movie, they cut like a couple of the comedy scenes where I'm like, we could handle that. Like there's some comedy stuff where like Jackie Chan is learning Chinese, like the local slang from Michelle Yeoh. And like he's learning stuff that, you know, 
Walkmans are called ready music and soda cans are easy pulled cans and, you know, guns are fire cannons, you know, just little stuff like that. Like, I don't mind more even personal humor that I feel like they cut out. And I think the soundtrack that they add here is a little Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. It's pretty bad, right? I mean, like, I was trying to pull, I was starting to pull clips of all the music I hated, and then I was just pulling so many clips that was crazy. I'll start with one. Like, when Jackie Chan is getting, like, his makeover, and he's doing, like, a kind of photo montage of, like, taking photos that they can use as, like, you know, reworking into, like, Photoshop propaganda kind of stuff, which is a callback anyways to Police Story 1, where he has to pose for this whole photo shoot, like, at the beginning of that one, too. They're playing horrible, horrible cover of Staying Alive. Now what? Looks good, Mr. Chan. Martial arts champion, not the opera. Change the makeup. Yes, Commander. And now what? And I would say the music almost just gets worse and weirder from there. They're like yes, pulling up I mean, to stakeouts, playing Tupac. What? Uh, I mean, at the end of the film, you know, they ended on like everyone was kung fu fighting. I mean, it is, it's base, but I also believe that some of those choices help the movie. I do. You know, it's like, and it's, we are, I think, sometimes so reticent to see something that, well, wait, what, it, like, it just, it just put a little bit of a sheen on it, especially in 1995. I think it was a right, probably the right way to do it to make these movies successful in a way. I mean, I'm telling you that I was in a crowded theater watching Rumble in the Bronx and, you know, it just, there was an energy to it. These few Americanizations of it, I think, do make it a little bit more palatable. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but I think it was a, a smart <laughs> business point of view. I, I did notice one thing about this that I was shocked at, that Super Cop 3 was the first Jackie Chan film, or actually the first film from Hong Kong, to use sync sound. And we talked about this in our Lagan episode. So sync sound means that you're recording the voices of the actors as they are on set, which is what everyone does, but they hadn't really been doing that in Hong Kong. So... There is something about this film, besides the fact that Michelle Yeoh and, and Jackie Chan do their own voices in the dub, but they are actually recording it for the first time on set, which I thought, wow, 1992, that's crazy. They were that far behind. Hong Kong cinema was that far behind. They weren't able to sync sound until then. Well, if they had started doing it earlier, I don't know if we'd get a Michelle Yeoh because like right. part of her story is... You know, she was like a ballet dancer, professional ballerina who like threw out her back when she was a teenager, was told that she couldn't become a professional ballet dancer. Her mom enters her into Miss Malaysia, kind of against her will, but she like does Miss Malaysia, wins Miss Malaysia. Um, and then her somebody sees her picture and they cast her in like a watch commercial to be this like girl with Jackie Chan. You know, she's like riding by on like a horse and he's like riding by on a bike. So it's like the very first thing she ever does on camera is with Jackie Chan. It's it's a ridiculous commercial. It's online. I'm just going to play a tiny bit of it. But then after that, like the producer of the commercial is also like a producer of films. They fall in love. And so she starts acting in these movies, but she doesn't know Chinese. Like she, you know, she's from Malaysia. So if she had had to speak Chinese, she wouldn't have been able to do it. Part of why she became an action star is because she could do the things with her body and she didn't have to do any talking or any comic timing because she was really worried she couldn't pull it off because it wasn't her first language. And so it, it's like what kind of pushed her into the action world. Mm 
I want to talk also a little bit about this idea of Supercop in this franchise, because if you look at Supercop 1, and I remember this just from being a fan of these movies from a long time ago, Michael Bay, like, rips off Supercop 1. Like, I think the opening sequence of, what is it, of Supercop is a very, it's almost a shot-for-shot recreation in Bad Boys. Like, you know, like... Oh, the cars? Yeah. Yeah. And Where it's like it, cars going down a hill, crashing through like houses. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's so wild. And and uh, oh, you know that would be Bad Boys too, right? Yeah. So that yeah, that's yeah. And uh, and then you know, but I do think the interesting thing about Supercop to me is this probably is the best constructed film of them all. I don't know. It, it's hard to say because there's the most plot in this one, right? Like other Supercop movies seem like they are just like. Very, very basic premise and a lot of stunts. This one, when you're watching it, there are a lot of sequences. Like you said, there are comedy sequences. There are plot sequences. There's a story here. There, You know, they take these characters, they continue them. Um, and it's interesting. It's also the first one that Jackie Chan doesn't direct. And I think in a weird way, that benefits Jackie Chan because I think that sometimes Jackie Chan can be too muggy if that makes it like he mugs a lot to camera and does a lot of these bits and i feel like here he does it a little bit less right like he definitely still has that energy but there is there's a an energy here that i i think you get everything you love of jackie but it has like a little bit more gravity to it or like a gravitas to it you know i do feel like it has more gravity to it i mean i will say if i had a short list in my head that i should probably actually just make of actors who i allow to mug Mm-hmm. I would allow Jackie Chan on that list. I'd probably yes. put Channing Tatum on that list. Uh, who else would even go on that list? Channing Tatum, Jackie Chan, maybe. Mugging is a tricky thing because it's sort of like yeah. I don't even see it that much. There's something about mugging in dancing and in fighting that is interesting because it is, I think, part of the bravado of doing both of those things. So when you say Channing Tatum, I think, oh, well, he's an amazing dancer. So you could, like when he's doing those moves, like, of course, like he's playing to the camera. And I think that that's yeah. what Jackie like Chan's Jackie, charm like, is. Yeah. Like if, if Channing Tatum stopped in the middle of that, like pony scene at the beginning of Magic Mike 2 and yeah. looked at the camera and like winked as he was humping the table, I'd be like, that's fine. I yeah. don't mind. We get it. You're making a movie. And I think that that's an <laughs> element of what, Jackie Chan films are and why they are so fun. Like the Drunken Master series is, you know, he's often treating himself not like Jason Bourne, right? He's not a badass, tough guy. He is somebody who can fight, who then is like, he's almost matching the moment instead of trying to be the hero. It's a weird, it's a weird slight difference, but it's like Jason Bourne would jump on that rope ladder because he knows he's going to take down the bad guy. Jackie Chan jumps on that rope ladder attached to the helicopter because he's like, I guess I got to do that. And you feel like he's like, yeah. oh shit, why did I do that? Like there, like there's an element always of Jackie Chan where it's like, oh, ooh, ah, like, you know, there's, there's a tentativeness in his fighting and the way he approaches his action that I think actually makes the action sequences feel more exciting. And I couldn't help but think that Tom Cruise has a similar thing. I know Ethan Hunt is cool as shit, but there is an element sometimes where you see Tom Cruise do something where he does have a, a gulp moment, like a, oh, 
Like, you know, and it's. Yeah, like when I, he goes out of the window at the Burj Khalifa. Yes. Like, he wants you to know that he's scared a little bit or that he's yeah. like, or that he's like, this is stupid so that you understand the gravity. Like, oh, no, if Ethan Hunt thinks this is dumb, this is probably really dangerous. Right. And I think I was watching this. And I was like, I have to imagine that. Tom Cruise is cribbing a little bit from Jackie Chan's playbook because regardless of what you think of anything else, at the end of the day, when you walk away from this movie, you're thinking about that last 20 minutes of this film, like that 20 minutes that Quentin Tarantino wants to send it to outer space. And it almost forgives anything else. Like, you know, I think when people talk about Top Gun Maverick, and we did talk about it a lot, and I keep (laughs) referencing it's my new baby driver, but uh, I will say that when he does that... um, we're not often talking about, oh, all the little plot things. Like, we enjoy the plot things, but you're so taken in by the whole movie. It's like, I'm making a movie. Like, I'm doing a spectacle for you. And I think that that is really something that Jackie Chan brings to, whether it's Magic Mike or anything like that. It's like this idea of, like, when you see somebody doing something so impressive, it, it is, you're hard-pressed to have any other thoughts about the film. I mean, because it's so, like, it's like, wow, I just saw something I've never seen before. Oh, yeah. Like, actually, to synergize all of your passions, I was listening to this interview that Edgar Wright did with Jackie Mm. Chan. And Jackie Chan says something that as he said it, I was like, oh, I feel like he's also describing Tom Cruise, where he talks about like his need to do what nobody else will do. And how like every time he would innovate something, people would start copying him. And he like just kind of got chased into this position. I just always want to find a new role. I want to on the top. I want every in China. In Hong Kong, in Asia, everybody follow my step. So in Asia, everybody watch what Jackie Chan doing. When I do in police, boom, success, everybody make police. Then I, go, I, I suddenly go to make project. Then when they follow me like this, I go this way. Yeah. Then I find out everybody do the same style. Ba, 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 ba. Okay, no, I change. I change the real fight. Bam, 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 bam. And everybody learn, learn from me real fight. Okay, I change to do a stunt. Then everybody do a stunt. Okay, I risk my life to do a real stunt. Nobody follow me. <laughs> and, and I do feel like that's kind of the corner that Tom Cruise has put himself in, which also bumps me out because I will say again, the man is a serious actor who should have won many Oscars for his previous work. But but to your point about the way Jackie Chan fights, I love that. I love that he is so expressive as a fighter because I think a lot of our action guys are like, tough jaw, glaring. Like when I think of a lot of the action movies that I have to watch for work that almost nobody is ever aware of because they don't have to watch the bottomless limits of Mel Gibson movies that I do. Like the cliche that we have is it's like a guy in jeans wearing a blue t-shirt, walking around looking grim, punching people, you know? Right. And it gets so boring, but Jackie's face is like scared, eyes big, eyes narrowed, thinking, laughing, reacting. Like he he wins a fight here just by having an expressive face. He's distracting somebody so much by making goofy faces that then they hit their head by a billboard. And then he, then he looks like, he starts, you, you see the reaction, like in his face first, the way he winces. Like even the sounds he makes when he fights tell like this whole story of like pain and laughter and danger and everything. You hear this range. <laughs> But but I think what we're saying is like action films, heroes that are too cool kind of suck. Well, they're they're not like you may want to watch a sequence because it's a coolly choreographed sequence. Like I think about the the sequence in Bourne where like um, Matt Damon uses like a phone book to beat the shit out of somebody. Right. And it's like, Mm -hmm. whoa, that is amazing. 
but he's a killing machine. Like he doesn't, I don't know what the born personality is, but I'm like watching this killing machine. Now, conversely, you watch John Wick. He's also a killing machine, but Keanu Reeves walks this really interesting line where I think he also is very expressive. Like, you know, when he's up against somebody tougher than him, like when he's fighting Boban in the library of John Wick three, like he gets hurt, he gets hit. And even when he masters, you know, the the Matrix style of fighting, there's an energy, there's a there is a a swagger, right? So it doesn't always have to be like, I'm scared or I'm this. It's a personality to the performance okay. of fighting. And, and I think that goes like, into choreography. I'm I can do this too, yes. right? It's yeah. not like, of course I can do it. Let me show you. It's like, this is pretty cool. Whoa. But that's the mugging, yeah. right? That's a little bit of the yeah. mugging. It's a bravado. It's like, oh my gosh, like I'm in on this. Like I am as, as impressed as you are. And I think, and what often happens, I think in these movies where you're just watching people trade blows, it is, it just doesn't feel like there's anything there, right? There doesn't feel like there's, uh, I mean, I I love them and I'll watch them to death, but I think there's something endearing about these characters. Like you actually fall in love with these characters a little bit more because they feel vulnerable. Yeah, they really do. I mean, and for so much of this movie, Jackie is like in really vulnerable positions. He's like alone with these like bad guys alone and then with Michelle Yeoh halfway through where like they could kill him at any minute. He's aware that they'll just shoot their friends if they think that they've betrayed them. He has to pretend that he is also a bad guy. And he gets like painted in these corners where like his backstory is that he is, um, you know, like kind of a businessman, crook sort of person from Wuhan. And then they like take him to Wuhan. He has to pretend like he knows where he lives. And Jackie Chan kind of acts all of these emotions on his face. He is like, he's like scared, nervous. But he also has to act like he's so cool that, of course, he knows where they're going. I mean, like, I want to just play, like, even with the scene where they're asking, like, where is your town? Fushang. Fushang. Uh, I'm just talking to you. What is it? Where's the town? Uh, we're close. Isn't this Wuhan? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we are not there yet. But do we take that crossroad there? A crossroad? Just keep going a bit. I mean, I love that. That, because, that like, sequence I, is I feel legitimately funny. Yeah. Yes. And it's like, and I think, again, you don't get to see these kind of moments in a James Bond movie. Like, they understand everything. They walk into an environment. They they can control everything. And Jackie is more realistic. Like, one of the things I loved about this movie, I know it's small, but it's the energy and effort they're running up a mountain at one point when they're escaping the prison uh, complex and and it and it's a slow it's a small inclined mountain but you see how hard it is for them to run up this hill like it would be for anyone it's a, just a tough hard incline and that energy and effort in that was again i know i'm just going back to the same idea but like the idea that you are like Oh, right. That is hard. Like we we're used to seeing films where like effort doesn't matter. Right. Like there's no like it's like, oh, they can do anything. They're not phased. And the truth is, is like if you were to be doing this, you would <laughs> you would get winded. There would be moments. And I, and I know that there's like, well, we want to just see people have fun. But I think it, it also is I think it gives you comedy. It, it gives you uh, it actually makes the scenes feel um, 
less redundant because it's it feels to me like it gives a pa- it it changes the pacing of action by giving you some laughs that are also not like just based in like oh my god he slammed his head through a refrigerator like you know it's like it's yeah it's a lot like you're you actually can mine more from an action scene by playing like four or five different types of beats besides oh my god that's super cool I totally agree. And I really like that it's the movie where Jackie Chan allows Michelle Yeoh just to be like better at him at certain things. You know, well, yeah, like it becomes a competition, that, right? Because yeah. like they, she, like she, I don't even know if that was intended because when they get on set, they start to compete. Like that clip we played of Jackie Chan where he's saying people want to challenge me. He's like, she wanted to challenge him. She's like, who can do it better? And they really, I think that that push and pull make the movie amazing. When I saw Michelle Yeoh jump on the motorcycle onto the train, I'm like, that's actually her? Holy shit. I know. And then over the credits, you see the outtakes of all the times she rode a motorcycle onto the train and that the only thing she has to protect her if she falls is a bunch of cardboard boxes. Like the first stunt guy to try that broke his leg. Like he tried that. He broke his leg. She got on the bike anyways and like still made it work. And I mean, this is her first film back after taking, I think, a four-year break. Because her story, you know, she ends up marrying the producer who brought her onto this and then um, decides to, like, dedicate her life to becoming, like, a mother, to becoming a wife. But they find out, and she's talked about this really openly in interviews, they find out that um, they can't have children, so they get divorced, and then she, like, doesn't know what to do with her life. And then she finds out that, like, people miss seeing her on screen. And so... And so she does this movie and people are like, Michelle Yeoh is back and they're losing their minds. But she really was like, I'm I'm setting the bar so high to like just knock people out of the water. But it becomes this competition between them. Like she jumps on the train and it is so amazing that Jackie Chan had to add the bit where he like dangles from the helicopter. He added the whole helicopter thing because he was like, she got the best stunt in the movie. I can't let that happen. I have to also have the best stunt in the movie. Oh, my God. However, all of that history aside, that amazing motorcycle to train job is not the one that nearly killed her. The stunt that nearly killed Michelle Yeoh in this is the one where she jumps from the moving van onto the convertible. I will just let her describe it. We don't really rehearse our big scenes. If you're going to do it, you might as well shoot it. So let's not waste it. So I get up on the truck, dodging the bullets, rolling off the van, and I go off the van, and Jackie pulls up in his little convertible, and I land on his bonnet. I crash the windscreen, which saves my fall, and then I roll off his car. And I go, oh, that looks okay. I can just, you know, roll down. And then you're standing up there, and you go like, oh, this feels a little different. Way, it's not staying still. And then his car is not staying still either. Everything is moving. And I remember in my head, I went, well, I'm never gonna know until I tried, right? So I took the roll. Everything went wrong. The windscreen did not shatter. The things that were supposed to make it go, it didn't. So Jackie couldn't get a handle on me. When you look, watch the outtakes, he scrambled over the windscreen and tried to hold on to me. Luckily, he, he grabbed onto a bit of my shirt as I was sliding off the car. He saved me, I think, my life. Shh, but don't tell him that. And as I rolled off, if he didn't give me that little extra jerk, I, could, I would have landed on my head first. And that would have been the disaster of my life. You know the saying, when you fall off the horse, you have to get back right on. For me at that moment was like, 
I know what I didn't do right. Now I know the feeling. Let's do it. Try and catch it this time. Suddenly went to Jackie. It's okay. It's okay. She said it's okay. Get back in the car. <laughs> so we turned around and we did it in the next take. Oh my God! And you see that in the end credit sequence where she falls off the car like that. Oh my God! I didn't realize it was that bad. Yeah, yeah. You see like her fall. You see the uh, like her the person who's sort of like minding. I don't know if they're like a sun protector. Try to leap after her and then they fall and they collapse to the ground. It is terrifying. And while all that is happening, Tom Jones is just singing Kung Fu Fighting. And you're like, ah, no, that is Michelle Yeoh. She is going to go on to do such amazing things in this world. Protect her. Um, The thing that is so interesting about this film is, you know, a staple of Jackie Chan movies is watching all the failed stunts, right? And I, I actually was thinking about this. as like, I want to see that for John Wick and Mission Impossible. I want to see these failed stunts as well because there is something so, uh, like, even more interesting to see that they, it took them a long time. Like, Jackie Chan dislocated, like, a cheekbone. He got hit by a helicopter. I mean, that helicopter sequence, how low that helicopter flies yeah. through the city is unbelievable and the fact that they had a competing helicopter like capturing the other helicopter that's two helicopters flying in such close proximity to each other for a stunt that is truly just hanging on for dear life and the amount of angles they get and when you even get to see in the end credits how high up cameramen are on the sides of buildings to get you know a crash through a billboard like it really is I think you give a lot of props to Jackie Chan for doing it. And obviously he has doubles that are also doing things as well. But what about the helicopter pilot? Like the precision there to make sure that no one's dying. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, and when he dislocated his cheekbone, he was like, I didn't even know you could dislocate your cheekbone. I didn't even know that was like physically possible. I mean, he's broken everything else in his body. Like it's, it's to me really startling that like, he feels that when he would come to America, like at the beginning and like learn stunts, that he just felt like our stunt teams were prioritizing things the wrong way. Not the stunt teams themselves, actually, but more like the producers, that he would show up to do an American fight scene and they would have set aside like half the day maybe to do it. And he was like, when I do stunts, like I'll set aside like weeks to make sure we get the whole thing, to make sure we do it right, to make sure we execute it perfectly. He feels like there's so much time and financial pressure in America that they don't get to properly execute well i think now that's probably a little bit different and i think it's probably different because of what jackie chan did like he left to go create the world that he wants to create because when you watch movies like nobody or atomic blonde you know anything that has come out even rrr these are i can only imagine fight sequences that are taking place over the course of a week this is not uh this is not a quick thing you know these are elaborately not only uh choreograph with the camera, but with these actors, like working, training. I had a friend who was a stunt person on uh, Fury Road, and she was there six months before the film started getting in prep mode just for the stunts they were going to do. Hey, by the way, when I watched the uh, Tupac California Love video, I forgot that that's basically like Tupac in Fury Road 20 years before Fury Road existed. That whole video looks exactly like Fury Road. I mean, I really need George Miller to talk about this. Wow. I, that, by the way, Amy, you are the journalist. Get, get that interview going. <laughs> Let's do it. Get that series.
You know, we've only really talked about Hong Kong cinema twice on the show, uh, which is Chungking Express and then this, two wildly different uh, films. But I think there's something really interesting about what Hong Kong action brings to to us. I mean, like we talked about it earlier in the show, like the idea that, you know, Dimension just rides on the coattails here. They don't have to do anything. They just slap a Tupac song on it and they can take some credit for it. Um, But I guess my question is, do you think that the renaissance that we have in action, you know, from where we were, the Schwarzenegger, the uh, the Stallone that kind of got into the Bourne and John Wick's of it all are because of the influence of Hong Kong cinema? I I do feel like that a little bit. I do feel like that a little bit. Like, I think that America, like the Hollywood cinema has a tendency to get really insular after a while to just sort of like swagger around like, we got this, we make the biggest films, we make the best films. And then something from abroad will finally burst through the consciousness and kind of shake everything up, right? And a lot of times what we do is like the easy way, we just like steal the actors like we did with the actors from The Raid. And we're like, I oh, will put them in a, in a in a Star Wars movie. And you're like, okay, sure. Um, but like to, we... There's like a, a flow in of new ideas that I think this country doesn't always embrace in Hollywood. And so when something really bursts through the way that like Hong Kong cinema does, I think it's like so vital here. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, I would, like, I, would, I would argue the Wachowskis really were the directors who said, let's Americanize Hong Kong cinema, right? They, they brought in these legendary action coordinators, you know, to, you know, it's a Wu Ping to have these actors do their own stunt work and create this thing. And, and in many respects, probably the Matrix is the turning point. But I would also say the Wachowskis are influenced by Hong Kong cinema. And that's why when they do their movie, they bring in them and then everyone wants to make the Matrix. But it is not a photocopy of a photocopy, but it really is interesting to see like how close that line was. Yeah, to, I mean, yeah. I really do think there is kind of like a, a really connect the dots through line here between like, yeah, between like Rumble in the Bronx, this movie, John Woo suddenly like getting, you know, his right, like the respect well, right? that he deserves out here. And then but John you know, like, Woo is the Matrix and then yeah. Crouching Tiger, like Crouching right. Tiger being oh, like the yeah. closest we saw. But it's like, it's almost like these films had to lay the groundwork for Crouching Tiger for audiences to be like, Yes, I want to go see that. There's something interesting in the idea also of slow-mo, right? Like, because Jackie Chan definitely doesn't do slow-mo. Like, and, you know, John Woo, obviously, we're always watching these slow-mo shots. I think that when you watch RRR, you're seeing those slow-mo shots. Matrix Matrix does the best of both worlds, you know, because it shows you the fast and the slow, and I think Crouching Tiger does that as well. But it is interesting that Jackie Chan, I think, treats his action sequences much more like these frenetic dance, you know, like dance routines. Like they are like Rumble in a Bronx. I think about that a lot, like him going through a construction site, like in and out of barrels and through ladders and up and down. Like, you know, there's a lot more about seeing it in one shot, not tampered with fully, uh, like at full speed. And you may be missing how cool it is because there is that fight in the beginning here where, you know, he's being challenged by the young, um, I don't even know his designation, but like Michelle Yeoh's oh. like a training partner. It's uh, where she, yeah, where she's really like, you're a super cop? Let me see. Like, right. Comrade Wang, let me introduce you. Our military police coach. Oh. This oh. is Kevin oh. Chan, a Hong Kong super cop. Super cop? Must be strong. 
Ah, uh, she's exaggerating. Oh no, not at all. Taekwondo, seventh degree. Hapkido, eighth degree. Karate, tenth degree. Swimming champion. Boxing champion of Southeast Asia. Correct. And that's just for starters. How about a little demonstration? Oh, great idea. Let's do it. No, 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 it's getting late. Attention! Company falling! That fight is amazing, by the way. I love right. that fight. But I would also argue in watching it, it is an amazing fight, but so fast. It's so, like, I think it would even be more amazing and more amazing if you were in tighter and you saw different things. Like, But just playing it out is a confidence of like, wow, this is this is it. You're watching it fully done. Like, And, it, and I think great fighting like that isn't as impressive as watching a fist go into a face, you know, like, yeah, 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 you know, and I think that that's why we're always adding things like, like, you know, a phone book with John Wick, you know, not to go that is the only thing in John Wick, but like you're adding these other elements. Like, oh my God, can you believe that moment? I mean, because basically here, it's just two actors who are just in amazing shape using their bodies. It's like, there's no, you know, it's not like, oh, and then they jumped off the fist and then they did that. It's like, no, no, it's just... It's just two people being as fast as possible, kind of the way that Bruce Lee was. It's true. And there is something I'm kind of curious about about that scene. And this is a moment where I have to say, like, I don't entirely know what I'm talking about, but I know what I'm curious about, I guess, mm-hmm. which is like, you, this is a movie about like a culture clash between like Hong Kong and China. And that's kind of what's happening in this fight scene, too. You know, like Hong Kong cop. He was like kind of known for being this renegade, doesn't follow by the rules, even back in like Hong Kong, Hong Kong still being you know, under England at this moment, going to China and like kind of the culture class of seeing Jackie Chan in China, meeting these like Chinese fighters, kind of looking around this room and the way that this this room is staged is it's like people in uniform, people acting kind of humorless. You know, Michelle Yeoh's character doesn't have like, doesn't get his sense of humor. And him kind of thinking like, man, the people of China, sort of weird. They're very culturally different from him. You know, like there's just walls and walls and walls of like all of these people in uniforms fighting and these like doing these like tough things through their bodies, breaking bricks with your head. And Jackie's like, I don't do that. I'm a little bit more delicate. Like these people have a strange, strange culture that I don't really like. And, and it, I don't, and it's strange because like, you know, I know a little, the little that I know of Jackie Chan and his politics, and I'm curious to know more. Like I know that they've changed over the years from when he made this film, like, before, a few years before he made this film, like he was very, very pro-democracy. Like he performed at a concert that was about like supporting the, the students who are in Tiananmen Square. Um, now, by this point, like he's very, very pro-China. And, you know, he's like you know, spoken out and said some things that are like very pro the ruling party in China, pro like communism and stuff. And so like he's made this kind of shift. I'm sure it's got to be really hard also when you're like the most visible movie star in Asia to try to like, please everybody in your fan base. But I do feel like here at this moment in Super Cup, he was kind of doing a jab a little bit at like the Chinese way of life. I mean, the movie even ends with a kind of like that little squabbling between like him and Michelle Yeoh. Like who's going to get the money? Is it going to be China or Hong Kong? Right. Three, three, eight, six, seven, seven, six, code O-W-K-U. The number of my Swiss bank account. The money is yours. I love to have it, but it belongs to the Hong Kong government. No, it really belongs to the people of China. But Hong Kong can keep it in custody. After 1997, we've been working together, eh? Ha! 
You think I'm gonna be walking with you? So I am curious, like about the subtext in this movie that I I feel like is there, but I don't know enough about it. It just feels like I see kind of glimmers of it, and I don't quite understand it. But I want to know. I would also be curious. You know, the other two super cops take place in Hong Kong, but this one goes to China. So it is like this idea that I think he understands. Maybe it's opening an audience as well. And there is this, you know, it it seems business savvy in a way to expand the reach, to kind of go out there and and maybe balance it. Because I don't think that yeah. is, I mean, it's really, you know. It's really globetrotting. Like they go yeah. to Thailand at one point. You know, the big ending scene is in like Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. And you can tell that because you see the presence of like mosques. Like he almost hits a mosque when he's like dangling right. from the helicopter or Michelle Yeoh, you know, like she is wearing... You know, kind of like the head head scarf, the head protection, because she's like in disguise as like a devout woman. It's a, you're seeing like different corners of like Asian culture in this film. Like, and I and I, I think that's so interesting too. And I wonder, I wonder like what it would feel like to kind of have that moments of recognition if you were like an audience member in 1992, kind of taking this journey and like seeing all of the places that they're going to. Yeah, absolutely. I also am thinking about this film in the. And the idea of like what James Bond brings, like this is 1992, this comes out and James Bond is, you know, globe trotting. He is a super secret agent, you know, um, but there's something really interesting about how I think after this movie, we start to see a James Bond that starts to use and Michelle Yeoh is one of them, uh, right? And uh, yeah, Tamara yeah, never yeah, dies, yeah. Uh, you know, a James Bond who starts to team up with women who are his equal. Not just, um, you know, and look, and I think you can go back to like Goldfinger and say, you know, she also was an amazing uh, pilot. But there, but I think James Bond starts to lean into that as well. Like this movie is also opening up this idea of saying like, oh, you could partner two people here and it doesn't devalue your super cop, your James Bond. It actually makes them better. Carrie Ann Moss is a great example of that with next to Keanu. Like it's not just uh, the, the man, the lead you know, being the best at everything. No, that's true. I mean, they have that little squabble like in the middle of the movie, like between like him and Michelle Yeoh, where they're having like that little feminist fight, you know? Mm -hmm. What is it? Why are you suddenly taking along? I'm following orders. Don't they know I have enough to do? I can't look after you too. They said I'm supposed to look after you. Why? You only be getting in my way. You're talking like a male chauvinist. My orders are... (laughs) Hey, Hushay, what happened? She gave me some of her female back talk, so I thought I'd teach her a lesson. Think you're superior, huh? Mao Zedong said that women are the real power of society. Mao Zedong really said that? Hey, yeah. Hey, two of you, stop that quarreling. Yeah, like her kind of being like, I insist on being here. By the way, I like looked that up. I was like, oh, is it true that like Mao was like a feminist icon, I guess? And it, it, it's, it, it, it's, a, it's complicated. It's complicated. Like Mao spoke spoke feminism in a way. Like he would say things like women hold up half the sky. Mm-hmm. And it is still sort of the way he's like a complimented as being like, Mao was great for women. Like older women in, in China apparently would be like, yes, Mao was really great for women. But what he really sort of did was more of like promoting like lean in culture back then where it was like women, oh, it's so great of you. Work at the factories, but do it for less money and you still have to do all the work at home. I love <laughs> women. You do so much work. So kind of double-edged sword there. But actually, you know what moment is political in this film that got changed around for our ears here in America 
It's uh, this one. When all of the gangsters are around the board having that fight over like who gets what what share of what drugs. Mm-hmm. And one of the gangsters says this. We took the other half. You have to cut us in. Ah, just who are you to dictate? You think you are Fidel Castro? Huh? <laughs> Actually, that is not what he said. In the Hong Kong version, he doesn't say Castro. He's like, what are you? George Bush. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They, 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 they tweaked that for our sensitive sensibilities. All right. I, I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, so, you know, this movie is really interesting. And I think it, it in many respects, it does have some of the best action of a Jackie Chan movie. It has, I think, one of the most fun plots where the comedy is coming out of the situations, just not out of Jackie Chan necessarily being funny, like you were mentioning. Like, you know, whether or not it's him trying to, you know, uh, you know, not bump into his girlfriend, May. Now, May actually has a bigger part in Police Story 2, you know, where she's yeah. very protective of him and everything like that. So, you know, she's this tour guide and they bump into each other at this hotel. And, you know, when he goes onto like the like the recliner chair and gets a massage from Michelle Yeoh to hide his face, like... There's a lot of... And his big nose is sticking out, which is yes. so funny because his nickname when he was a kid was Big Nose. <laughs> That's hilarious. The uh, But there is something about this movie that I think you can really appreciate as far as a story. Because even Rumble in the Bronx doesn't have like... I love Rumble in the Bronx, but it doesn't have like a story like this. This actually can hold a little bit more weight uh, than some of his other films. Yeah, I mean, that pool sequence where they run into to Maggie Chang is just so funny, I think. And, like, if you have seen the other police stories, you know, they're like, yeah, she's been there from the very beginning. Like, she's always been his girlfriend. She's always been kind of pushed aside a little bit, like, taken, I think, for granted by Jackie Chan's character in most of these films on purpose as, like, a little bit of comedy. Uh, that she's, like, his, like, way too beautiful for him girlfriend that he like ignores and treats kind of terribly. She was also, like, a beauty queen. And, like, at this point in her career was not yet taken seriously by people. They just thought she was like a beautiful girl who showed up and did some goofy stuff. But like, there's just moments in that sequence I think are so funny. Like one of my favorite ones is like, while she's kind of like pouting and looking around and trying to figure out if that is her boyfriend getting a massage, Michelle Yeoh is doing all this funny stuff. She's like pretending to be his girlfriend Mm -hmm. for like a moment to throw off the track. She like tosses her hair all glamorously, but then when Maggie Ching isn't looking, like punches Jackie really hard in the back. And and then they have that like fight by the pool. You have to trust me. Go away. Don't be a nuisance. Oh, My she? brother said no. So why don't you she leave him alone? Don't no bother Take someone else. He's Take not interested. Will you go away? Get locked. Mm. Quiet. I won't keep quiet. I was talking to my boyfriend. Everyone's looking at business. Not bad. Oh, yeah. Not my type, though. How much? Not too expensive, I guess. He's a married man, if you want to know. Oh, that's I mean, so much of the dialogue in this movie is just people saying one thing that they don't actually mean to try to get away with saying something else. It's like you have to kind of watch it a little closely to know when people are, like, lying or exaggerating or making up stuff. Even if it forces Maggie Chang in the position of like everybody suddenly thinking she's a sex worker at this hotel, which is horrible for her. And she deserves to be so angry. And then she just like ends the movie by like getting thrown out of a helicopter and we never see her again. I mean, by the way, so, she really takes that fall out of the helicopter. I mean, he checks on her <gasps> to make sure she's okay. But wow, that is an intense fall. Like that's an intense toss. 
I mean, justice for Maggie Chang, you know, and, and to circle it uh, all the way back around, like, I don't think Maggie Chang really gets her respect until she starts making films with Wong Kar Wai. And so, like, kudos to him for making people take her seriously. I mean, Maggie Chang, by the way, you know, first actress from Asia to win the Best Actress Award at Cannes. So, ta-da! Like, she really did wind up blossoming. But I think she's so funny in these movies. Uh, she's great. I also just want to give a shout out to the actor who plays Panther. And I'm, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name, but it's uh, Yuen Hua, who is, I think, a great like companion in this movie. He's a real perfect dirtbag. But one of the things that's really interesting, besides his amazing career, and you probably know him from like Kung Fu Hustle, uh, but he was also Bruce Lee's stunt double in Fists of Fury and Enter the Dragon. So he has this career that starts really as this stunt double for the biggest, you know, the, the one of the, the most influential martial artists of all time. I just think it's really interesting to see how many movies, like he's done 60 movies, worked on 160. But this idea that, you know, everyone on this movie is coming with baggage or a good baggage, like of just of what they've done, what they've seen. So I think that that's yeah. really interesting. And they have such a great chemistry in part because they've known each other since they were kids. Yeah. I mean, part of the Jackie Chan story, you know, like we call him over here, like the Charlie Chaplin or the Buster Keaton yeah. of like, of, of action films. That relationship, yes, very true. You know, they did crazy physical things. They did them in camera. They did it themselves. But it also goes to me a little deeper than that in that like these three performers are all people who had pretty strict, tough performing childhoods. Mm. You know, like Buster Keaton, like thrown around by his dad on stage as a baby until he like just learned how to take falls. About the same thing happens to Jackie Chan when he's little. You know, when he is about six or seven years old, his parents sent him to um, the Peking Opera Drama Academy, you know, the Chinese Drama Academy, right. which sounds kind of like prestigious here. If it was here, you'd be like, oh, they paid to send my kid to opera school, to art school from the time he was little. But it's very different there. It's not like a posh art school. It's kind of like a foster home almost where poor families- Well, they families... change their names, right? Like when they well, go there, like this is, like they're given yeah. a new name, right? Like that's that's what at least what they're happened given, with- the, yeah. yeah, they all they have to have the last name Yoon. Like yeah. they all have to take the master's last name. So like Jackie Chan had a, like a last name Yoon for a while. But like the school pays the families to take the kids in a way. Like the school like takes these children and then like trains them in all sorts of performance and like, you know, martial arts and gymnastics and tumbling and singing and dancing. And then they make the kids perform. And then the kids like make money for the school. They send some of the money to the ki- to the back home. You sign a contract when you join that says like, I will be here for at least seven years. And I will, I say that it's okay to make me train 18 hours a day to like put me through like really intense, like work as a small child. I mean, Jackie Chan had to do stuff like do handstands for hours when he was being punished. They would make you do handstands for hours. And he was like the master's favorite, um, which put him, I think, under a lot of pressure. Like he said that being the master's favorite didn't mean he had it easy. It meant that like his expectations were twice as high. And when he was punished, he was punished twice as hard. Like there's this movie that came out in 1988 called Painted Faces. uh, And it's about this school, you know, and it like, it's about like Master Yu and his students, but like, Basically, it, and it shows sort of like the abuse of it. And the people who went there are like, 
yeah, it was that rough. Actually, it was a little bit worse. But there's also some sort of Jack, like gratitude, like Jackie Chan, you know, because Jackie Chan isn't his real name. But Jackie Chan has said, like, that school birthed Jackie Chan, the performer that I became. And the guys who went there together, you know, who include like Yoon Wa, who include like Corey Yoon went there, Samo Hong, like all of these people kind of formed this clique that I think is like a, at almost a bigger deal even than like the USC 70s clique that we have here in America. They just like stuck together, formed this kind of group. You know, Corey Yoon goes on to direct like Michelle, like Michelle's first action film. He does like Jean-Claude Van Damme. He does like... X-Men and Romeo Must Die, Cradle to the Grave, Expendables, all of these great action films. Um, they become this really kind of forged in iron group of athletes. And if the natural question from that is like, can Jackie Chan then as a result sing opera? The answer is yes. This is just like somebody's cell phone footage of Jackie Chan like on an opera stage singing opera. <laughs> I think that that's really impressive. I also think it goes back to answer some of the questions that you're talking about before, too, which is why Jackie Chan does have these you know, this he's a big defender of the Chinese Communist Party, right? Like he does criticize anyone who's anti-China. Like he is part of he's part of a system that I think uh you know, while he has come out to be this amazing performer, somebody who does have a complicated life. And I think when you grow up in a society like that, when you are tampered down and you're force fed some things, you're gonna come out a little bit weird. You know, in his biography, he does say like yeah, I I acted like a jerk. I crashed cars when people wanted to take pictures of the wreck. I threatened the cops. I'd beat them up. I had an illegitimate daughter. I cheated on my wife. You know, he you know, he's admitted to a lot of this kind of stuff, you know, and I think that this energy of him, like, oh my gosh, he's so sweet. He's so nice. He's this, you know, but again, he is someone who as a person is incredibly complicated and and maybe the idea of like the characters he picked on screen and the idea of who he wanted to be on screen is very different you know it's it you would never think of all the things that he's admitted to and that he's been accused of uh from this kind of guy and you know and i think that that's an interesting thing that he is uh is able to kind of keep the two separate. Like, I think in America, it would be a little bit harder for him to be able to be this person who would have, like, you know, accused, uh, you know, admitted to beating his kids. You know, again, like I said, being inf- unfaithful to his wife, all these things. Like, But it, it seems like he is a little bit protected from that. And he's still working out demons on some level. Yeah, and I can't even imagine the complications of what it must feel like to be like, you know, my parents had no money. I was on track to live a really hard life. I went through a lot of like pain and physical Mm -hmm. punishment, you know, came out like wildly successful besides anybody's imagination to feel like indebted to a difficult system for your success and to have those like kind of push-pull feelings about it. Then was it good? Was it bad? Was it worth it? Was it not? Like that's got to be so hard to reconcile. Yeah, absolutely. 
Maybe that adds a little bit of, of resonance to the title of the song that he like sang at the closing credits when this was released as Police Story 3 in Hong Kong. Like it, the closing the, the closing song was not supposed to be Kung Fu fighting for him. You know, it was him singing this ballad called I Hope You Will Understand. Wow. Interesting. I love this. Now, obviously, this movie comes out in Hong Kong. It comes here re-released. And we talked about how it's been edited and obviously tweaked in different ways. But what was the response here, you know, as far as reviews? I mean, are people critiquing it? Because it's very easy to kind of see the seams in certain things about this movie. But at the same at the same level, I think this movie is as well plotted and well acted as uh a Stallone film or a short singer from, from this time, you know, like, I think it's better. I think maybe. so too. Yeah, I, I yeah. agree. Yeah, no, it was, it was very, very, very widely applauded. I think because it's especially by 1996, I think there was a real Stallone fatigue in this country. Yeah. You know, that was a low point for action here. I think like action was sort of tanking a little bit and getting re-energized from like the John Woo of it all from the stuff like we've talked about earlier about like people like Nicolas Cage suddenly becoming action stars instead well, of like the muscle people. Yeah. It, I, mean, I, was, I think it was seen as like a breath of fresh air, kind of the way that RRR is today. I was going to say, like, if you look at the movies that came out in 1991, like the the action movies, it is Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze in Point Break. It's, you know, Lou Gossett Jr. and Toy Soldiers. It's, uh, you know, Mickey Rourke and uh, uh, Don Johnson and Harley Davidson and the Marlboro Man or Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. Like, these are all... These aren't, at this point, Keanu Reeves is not even a stunt person. You know, like I would say the, probably the the person really, the two biggest stunt people in this time frame are like Steven Seagal, who is doing, you know, impressive stunts. And the old school Chuck Norris is, he's still making movies, but they're not as popular. But so it is interesting to see somebody, like this is a change. Like at that point, Seagal was the only real, like, I'm a, I'm a master of martial arts, and then I'm an actor. I mean, that also can be totally uh, uprooted, too, if you really want to get into it. But it's I mean, true. yeah. No, but, uh, uh, we've talked about how weak I am in Seagal. I don't yeah. know Seagal yet. Uh, no, I mean, I don't know if you need to know him. I think you should watch uh, Shoot to Kill and Out for Justice and and maybe Under Siege. Uh, but, you know, <laughs> uh, but it is interesting to see, like, this is a time where a lot more actors are just trying to be you know, an act more gun violence than foot and hand violence, you know? So it is interesting to see how this movie that starts is to true. affect the landscape. I get so bored with gun. I think like shootouts in movies can be so boring. It's like really rare for me to see a shootout where I'm like, that's exciting. I'm into this. It, like, I don't know. I mean, even this one has like at least the dimension that like you believe that Michelle Yeoh was wearing a bulletproof uh, vest that could explode. Right. And so there's like a little tension to the shootouts. But I think, I don't know. I think American films are so gun dependent in a way that I find really boring. Um but there were a few negative reviews. The one that I pulled is from Anthony Puccinelli of the Chicago Reader. And he wrote this. Supercop's biggest flaw is what its producers probably saw as its greatest strength. It is very American. For some reason, the acrobatic shenanigans and goofy villains have been replaced by explosions and cackling drug kingpins. The Hong Kong soundtrack has been replaced by a glaringly inappropriate mixture of R&B and rap. All such originality has been squashed out of Supercop. Rather than exuberant, joyful whirlwind of action, Chan has become an American action hero, engaged in discussion and argument rather than dance and duck. 
The big set pieces aren't accumulations of hundreds of precise movements of leaps and spins and twirls, but rather an accumulation of explosions. At the beginning of Supercop, the chief says, why not get James Bond? Maybe so. Then Pierce Brosnan could play Jackie Chan and Rumble in the Bronx could become Supercop and Supercop could become Goldeneye. And what is most depressing is that audiences might not mind. That's a really shitty way of looking at this movie because I think he's critiquing the film based on the dimension wrapping paper on it, right? Like, these are not choices that the filmmakers made. This is choices that the distributor uh, made uh, for the film. Like, you know, and it's like, you can't really hold the film accountable for that. You have to watch it in a different way, you know. Um, but whatever. I mean, you know, look, everyone's going to have their own issues. But to to have a review like that and not even be able to call it the last 20 minutes as being something you have to see, I just can't trust you. I just can't trust your opinion on it. <laughs> I mean, it also sounds like that guy is more of a fan of stuff like like Twin Dragons, which, yes, I mean, that is that is the big ding if you're going to make one on Supercop. Is that like the other Jackie Chan movies have more fighting, have more like choreograph- choreographed fight scenes and and less helicopters. But they're both great. They're both great. Well, I Can't would we argue that be, you're both pretty. You're both pretty. Jackie but I Chan also would argue film. that to keep the audience entertained while there wasn't that going on with a plot that has enough stuff in it to sustain with uh, that. That's a fun plot. And they find ways to heighten that plot of being undercover in a really what fun way. So you're not just like waiting through plot to get to the next action sequence. You are enjoying a story. So I do think that that is an important distinction. Anyway, uh, it's a great kind of entry point into Jackie Chan. I'm sure we'll go and visit again. Uh, but now the question to you is, where do we go from here? I mean, we have talked about heroes. We've talked about Superman. We have talked about RRR. We've now talked about Jackie Chan. We've done a lot of stunts, and we've seen a lot of different ways you can be heroes. Uh, I have an idea based on something that somebody said to us on Twitter about a hero. But uh, yeah? yes, I do. I thought, because we've talked about it a lot on the show, what if we do Paddington 2? What? <laughs> Paddington 2, a true hero, bringing the world together, solving crimes. Uh, you know, his his parents, just like Superman, uh, let him uh, come to a different part of the world. And and then he comes and fits in and uh, is a joy to all. I mean, this, I don't... Yeah. Th- that's a demented idea, but why not? <laughs> <laughs> I think it could be a fun way to uh, explore what a hero is. We don't need to just have uh, fisticuffs. Maybe a hero is somebody who can just clean your windows really well. I mean, if you're saying to me, Amy, would it fill your heart with joy to watch Paddington 2? The answer is absolutely. Great. Well, I'm going to talk. I'm gonna say this. Amy, the best villain that we're going to encounter is in Paddington 2, which is Hugh Grant. Uh, oh, he's a, so good. <laughs> a role that he should have gotten an Oscar for. Uh, I truly mean that. Uh, I believe he should have gotten nominated for an Oscar for that movie. Uh, anyway, we got a bad guy. We got a hero. We got uh, a fish out of water story. Uh, I think that Paddington 2 is, we got action, we got adventure. I think it's a perfect one. Let's take a listen to the trailer for Paddington 2. Dear Aunt Lucy, you sent me to London to find a home. I have a wonderful family. I think you're in great shape for a man your age, Mr. Brown. Ah, thank you, Paddington. Hang on, how old do you think I am? Oh, about 80. I've really got to grips with how things work. Mr. Gruber, come in. I'd like to get my Aunt Lucy a birthday present. 
How about these rolling shoes? Please, Mr. Gruber, be serious. What's this? This popping book is the only one of its kind, and they want a lot of money for it. I'm going to get a job and buy that book. Hello? Window cleaner? All right, so there's Paddington 2. You can get it uh, wherever you get your streaming films. I also will always urge everyone to check out Hoopla, which is the way that you can rent movies and TV shows and audiobooks for free through your local public library. You can download them right to your iPad or your iPhone. It's an amazing app. And uh, I know here in Los Angeles, they also have equally great apps. Uh, So just check out what your library has. If you don't want to pay for these movies, there's a great opportunity there to check that out. Um, Amy, uh, I'm so excited to continue this hero series and, uh, it's gone in so many different directions already. Uh, so next week, Paddington two, but a big thank you, uh, to our producer, Josh Richmond, uh, producer, uh, Molly Reynolds, our engineer, Devin Bryant, our brand new intern is sitting in this week. Uh, Jacob Morton is here. We have a brand new intern in the house, which is great. Um, Always uh, make sure you go visit our T Public store. We have a little unspooled store where there are a few shirts. We have a I Love Leopards Charlton Heston shirt. We have a uh, a shirt that comments on the size of <laughs> of someone's. Uh, well, we have a, we have a BDE shirt uh, that uh, that I think uh, some people have really enjoyed. And we actually have uh, we've got a Brahm shirt. We got some cool things there. So if you've not checked out that story, you do that and make sure you jump on our discord, uh, which is currently right now housed under my discord, which is discord.gg slash Paul Shear. There's a giant unspooled section where we break down, uh, the movies each week, but also there's just general conversations about film and there's always our Facebook group and our Instagram and Twitter. You can keep up with us there as well. Uh, all right. So, uh, we will see you again for next week for Paddington Tune.